One time I went rummaging through an ex-lover's trash can to find the condom because he told me he had sex with an ex and I was suspicious that he didn't use a condom. And in my jealous rage, I searched through his trash. Okay, I'll admit that was a bit of a low-hanging fruit soundbite, but I stand by it because non-monogamy has the potential to bring up jealousy in your relationship. It's almost guaranteed. And that's okay. Jealousy is important because it's trying to tell you something. Today, Janelle Marie, who's a sex and relationship coach, and I, a love coach, are exploring non-monogamy, open relationships, and polyamory. What's the difference between all those terms? How do we deal with the jealousy that inevitably comes up in this type of relationship? How to have a conversation about non-monogamy with your monogamous partner? This is an intro to non-monogamy, and don't worry, 2020 will bring more conversations about non-traditional forms of relationship. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. I've had a little bit of experience, but mainly sort of as the as the boyfriend. All right, let's stop talking about the thing that we're going to talk about. <laughs> All right. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, my name's Janelle Marie, and I am a sex and relationship coach. How is sex and relationship coaching different than love coaching? Mm. I think it's all part of the same topic of how do we connect with each other more deeply, more intimately. Um, so I think it's probably more of a branding choice. Um, mm. I think that when you're talking about love coaching, um, yeah, it really speaks to people's desire to be more intimately connected to, to each other. And I think saying sex and relationships um, is also really speaking to the need to feel more interconnected through sexuality. It's just kind of overtly naming that. So I think it's kind of a choice based on what you want to speak to and who you want to speak to. This could be a, a podcast on marketing. <laughs> I've been learning from Seth Godin, and he says that everything is a, a marketing problem. Yeah, I could see that sex and relationship is going to attract a different audience than love. Mm-hmm. It's may yeah. maybe why I don't really have a lot of male fans. Yeah, I was definitely thinking that when you said love coach, I was like, oh, it makes sense because you really want to speak to a lot of women. That's not true. <laughs> That's just who is drawn to you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to talk to guys. It's just that I'm not going to bend over backwards to try to f get them to pay attention. <sighs> Yeah. I'm going to speak authentically and see who who it resonates with and that just happens to be a predominantly female audience. Totally. I'm not trying and to I mean I wish we What did we say at the beginning of this podcast? <laughs> I sh I shut up right as you started talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Go ahead. I wish we lived in a world where men could actually talk to each other about sex and love and relationships. But the dominant culture has made it so that men don't want to talk to each other about this. And that really sucks. Yeah, it's a big problem that I don't know how to address. Yeah. Because I have a platform and I'd like to eventually reach men. Totally. And... Maybe what we're going to talk about today could be a way to reach men because it's a topic 
that's pretty exciting. <laughs> and, you know, all right, let's stereotype. Men want sex. Yeah. One of the ultimate fantasies is, I think, I'm sort of putting words into men's mouth, but having multiple sexual relationships at the same time. Mm-hmm. At the same time, in time and space, like mul- like multiple partners, like a threesome or moresome, but also multiple relationships, having like being able to have multiple partners, which yeah. is something I don't have a lot of experience with and something you do. <laughs> yeah. I think what's true is that there's a lot of people across the gender spectrum who want to feel free to express their sexuality and connect with lots of people, but there's a gender socialization where men don't get touched enough by anyone, but definitely not by other men. Um, I don't even mean sexually. I just mean men don't have a lot of intimacy with each other and women are taught to be protective and guarded about their, their intimacy giving. And so men are hungry for sex as a way to connect with other human beings. <laughs> I think women get a lot of touch and connection amongst ourselves in a non-sexual way that makes it so that we're not as kind of like stereotypically desperate for touch. So, I mean, my argument would be that everyone actually needs touch and connection and some people across the gender spectrum are drawn to it more than others, but that men in particular are stereotyped as non-monogamous or really wanting to, you know, sow their seeds, so to speak, because they're really hungry for the intimacy that our culture denies them. Whoa. (laughs) I feel like this is kind of a big deal. (laughs) Well, what do you think? Uh, So I agree that people all throughout the spectrum are interested in touch and connection. And some of those people are going to be drawn towards non-monogamy. Yeah. And I also agree that men are not celebrated or mm, encouraged to explore touch in a non-sexual way. Yeah. Because oftentimes when a man touches another man, it's seen as some sort of like homoerotic thing if if a straight man touches another man and also if straight man touches a woman then automatically that gesture is seen as romantic or sexual so there's no room there's no room for platonic touch in a man's life unfortunately i mean there there is room there is you and i both know this and and pe- people listening know this but a lot of people don't know that you can have touch in a platonic relationship whether it's male female or whatever whatever the dynamics end up being and there doesn't have to be anything more than friendly touching right totally massage cuddling whatever whatever it is so yeah, I get it. It makes sense that for a lot of men, the only avenue to get more intimate touch is through sexual relationships. So maybe that's why men are more stereotyped as wanting multiple partners. And I get it also because they're not getting their touch anywhere else. Maybe if they maybe if they had more, they were less touch starved some of them would be less likely to go and look for another sexual partner to meet those needs. Yeah. I'm more interested in the conversation of how do we recommunitize our culture? So I lived on a commune for a few years, which is where I really began to realize, oh, I'm not monogamous. I'm polyamorous. And we can kind of get into maybe defining these different aspects of non-monogamy in a second. But I realized when I was living with this really tight group of people, a hundred people living together on this farm where everyone is spending intimate time together, sharing their income, cuddling all the time. There's lots of deep, not necessarily sexual connections with each other that really awakened something in me. And I realized like, oh, we are living in a super isolating 
time, a, a, a time that's not only touch phobic because of puritanical roots, but also just like we're all living in nuclear families, just, you know, two of us or, or living alone and on our devices all day long. And so I think the draw to polyamory or, you know, non-monogamy in its essence that I'm most interested in is not how do we have sex with multiple people, which would be great, but like, how do we revive community and tribe in a way that's lost? How do we reconnect with each other on a more deep level through openness to being vulnerable, to intimately talking through cuddling? Um, and yeah, sex is nice. That's also a great way to connect. But like, for me, it's, it's more than that. It's really about human intimacy in its most connected form. Mm. <sighs> My heart races even just talking about it because it's just like a vision I, I have that feels so strong for the world, you know, or at least for the group of open-minded, like forward-thinking millennials that I see that I'm a part of, like people rethinking what does it mean to share uh, share things with each other and be more intimate and vulnerable? How do we rethink our society and what relationships are that's different from what our parents and their parents' generation was able to do? I think it's an amazing time to be alive. And I think that there's a lot of other people who feel this way. And I really want to rally that tribe to like help everyone let go of shame about wanting to be more intimately connected. That's something I feel so passionate about. Now you just opened up the whole scope of this conversation. Like you were already saying that what we were going to talk about is big. And now you're talking about, oh, well, how do we reconnect the whole world and, <laughs> and like present an alternate <laughs> option for living outside of the dyad, which has been the predominant way that people do relationship in the last, like, I don't know, century or so. Totally. Um, <laughs> or longer. Or longer. Yeah. So I'm with you we can begin <laughs> by offering up and exploring what these alternative styles of relationships are to perhaps shed light on how it can be done differently. Um, we're probably not going to get into how to build a commune today. <laughs> probably not. not. And I don't think that's realistic. And I'm not trying to convert anyone I think that there's people like me who there's an instinct towards this. And those are the people I want to really connect to each other. And those are the people I personally want to work with and talk to. I think we live in a time where we can create lives that actually work for our unique expression um, and our sexuality. You know, we're seeing just so many people express their their gender and their sexuality in a way that's authentic to them and this has never happened before right in um in, in modern times i really want to connect with through this conversation people who are drawn to to this idea and you know i think we live in a time where monogamy has already kind of been exploded because in, you know monogamy used to mean one person forever for life. Like you get with someone when you're, you get married when you're 15 and you're with that person until you die at the ripe old age of whatever, 56 or something. Um, but now things have changed where there's serial monogamy, you know, where people have one person at a time. So I would argue that that in itself is not monogamy. So already right there, you know, our society is seeing this radical shift away from what monogamy used to be. And so, yeah, for people who are ready to take that one step further, what does that look like? What does that look like? <laughs> well, yeah. first of all, I want to say that I appreciate this idea that you want to spend time with and connect with people that are, are in line with your values and the way you 
want to build your life. Thanks. And that goes hand in hand with non-monogamy and more open relationships because when you invite another person into your life, you're sort of bringing them into the fold and you're building community, yeah. community with them because you're, yeah. you're connecting them to other people, right? You're sort of like yeah. the hub of the bicycle wheel mm-hmm. where you might have other partners that fill different needs. And so I like that what we're talking about is connected to this grander vision of building community and being close and sharing intimacy with all sorts of different people and different types of intimacy, not necessarily just sexual. And what I know of non-monogamy is that people often get into it because they think it's going to lead to a lot of sex. And then they realize that what it does lead to is some increase in sex and the variety of partners that you have, but really a dramatic increase in emotional processing, communicating, learning how to adjust and attune to a bunch of different partners, how to juggle different needs, scheduling, all sorts of other considerations that weren't factored into, hey, I'd really like to have sex with more than one person at a time. Right. Totally. So yes, perhaps it would behoove us to explore what are these different terms that we're talking about. Like already we've said non-monogamy, polyamory, and open relationships. Can you tell me what the difference is? Sure. Culturally, what non-monogamy is, is having sex with more than one person. And I think a lot of people do that unethically where they are outsourcing sexuality without communicating about it overtly to their partner. Cheating. That is, yeah, cheating. <laughs> that would be the main way that non-monogamy is being expressed culturally right right now in a lot of people's minds. I think open relationships and polyamory are more intentional versions of non-monogamy that ideally are more focused on overtly communicating your needs and boundaries and desires with the people or person that you're with. And polyamory literally means loving more than one person. So if you want to design a life where you have two boyfriends or girlfriends, let's say they're both your primary partners, you spend equal amounts of time with them. Let's say one is your primary partner and you have a secondary partner or even a tertiary partner, someone you don't spend that much time with, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole language for polyamory. And there's some great, great books about that, like, more than two opening up ethical slut. Um, Yeah, there's just a, a whole world within how to design a relationship structure that works for you and all the people in your life. And you can still cheat within that framework um, by not being honest and um, not agreeing, you know, agreeing to boundaries and then not doing them. Um, But inherently connecting with more than one person at the same time is not cheating and it is not wrong. And actually humans have a lot of history with that kind of relationship um, throughout different cultures and different tribes throughout time. Um, It's not new. And it's totally normal and totally okay if everyone is communicating openly and honestly with each other. It's totally normal and totally okay for you to want this. It's also totally normal and okay for you not to want this. Yep, a hundred percent. Thanks for saying that. I think I think it's easy to even hear this subject and feel possibly triggered or alienated because it's so different from what we're told to want, you know, by the dominant narrative. And my goal here is just how do we invite more people to be more authentically themselves through sexual expression, through connect connective community building, through gender expression. I you know, I just want to keep building a world where people are more free to be authentically themselves and that doesn't mean you have to be non-monogamous, of course, you know, monogamy in, in its current form of dating one person and being with that person till the relationship ends is great. If that works for you, that's amazing. And that works for a lot of people. And for some of us, it doesn't. So we might want to pursue more intentional 
polyamorous relationships or open relationships. And so to define that last term, open relationships, I think open relationships also means something like what polyamory means, but I think people use it to mean more of, yeah, me and my partner, you know, we have like a monogamish relationship. You know, we're we're swingers and we have sex with other people together, or, you know, we go have a sexual connection with other people outside of this relationship, but really we're each other's rock, we're each other's primary. We don't have deeply emotional love relationships with more than one person. And so like all of that in the spectrum of relationship possibility is open to you. If you are drawn to any of that, you know, you have the right to be yourself in the world, um, but not at the expense of others, not uh, at the expense of being honest. If you resonate with, with any of that, you have permission to desire those things. And there are other people in the world, in your community who want that too. And there are resources. Yeah. To there are get you the tools that you need to do this in a way that creates less negative impact. Yeah. Right. I liked how you said that you have the right to be authentically who you want to be, but not at the expense of others. As in yeah. you can't create pain. Yeah knowingly of course you're gonna fuck up happens all the time and can you repair can you repair from that fuck up but you can't just say well i'm i'm non-monogamous and that's just the way it is and be in relationship with somebody who's not okay with that and do things that harm the relationship i mean at that point if it's that big of a divide then perhaps you shouldn't be in relationship with with that person and that just reminds me of a question that comes up every so often, which is, you know, the person that I'm in love with is non-monogamous and I'm not, and I don't know what to do about that. Like I'm uncomfortable about it and I'm not non I'm not open. I'm not non-monogamous, but I love this person. What do I do? Yeah, totally. And that's so that's hard. So hard. <laughs> yeah. I think that what you do is, you first of all really take time to nurture yourself and sit with that pain and ask yourself, what can I learn from this? That is what differentiates a lot of people who are in non-monogamous, honest, open non-monogamous relationships from other people is that there's a way that some people really want to learn from putting themselves in uncomfortable situations and butting right up against their own personal boundaries and, and growing in that space. Some people really thrive with that kind of Hmm. learning. And I think that that's not for everyone. I think that's not everyone's mission or, you know, that's not everyone's way of learning, but I think that there's some people who really thrive from that discomfort zone that's not so uncomfortable that it's traumatizing but it's just uncomfortable enough where you're really facing your shit where you're really learning what are my needs what are my boundaries and so i think if you are someone who that really resonates with you you could be in a long-term relationship with someone who's connecting with other people and not be doing it yourself because you are actively choosing to take that discomfort as medicine and a journey of growth within yourself. And you can also choose not to do that. And that's fine too. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I've, I've thought about this scenario where one person is non-monogamous and the other isn't. And those people can be in relationship if they choose to be. Yeah. And it can be extremely confronting to to be at the edge of your growth and to be uncomfortable and triggered by all the stuff that comes up in, in non-monogamy because it comes up a lot. And I love that you said you can either, if you're that kind of person, you can explore that edge. And if you're not that kind of person, that's okay. And guess what? I'm not that kind of person. 
Yeah, great. Yeah, and it's interesting because people come to me with their polyamorous stuff all the time, assuming that I'm polyamorous. Oh, interesting. I'm not. Like, why do you think people assume that about you? Just because I talk about sex and love. Yeah. And so they must, they just make the assumption of the leap that I'm polyamorous. I'm not that, that type of person who wants to be at the edge all the time. I feel that life is hard enough as it is. And yeah. it takes me a long time to integrate learnings. And I'm okay with that because once they're integrated, then for me, that's sort of the next step in my development. And I have friends that are just, they're right up against the edge of their discomfort all the time. Yeah. And they're choosing that. I have a friend who went to like 12 retreats this year. I mean, not just like a yoga retreat, like a fucking shadow work, masturbating naked in front of people, like just some deep, intense stuff. 12 of them. I mean... Yeah. This person didn't even let any integration period between them. And that's that's how she is. And wow. she's put herself in relationship situations that I would never ever consider being in. So <laughs> yeah. all that to say that if you're listening right now, there's no right or wrong answer to how you do relationship as long as it works for you and that you're clear about what it is that you're doing and you're being as honest as possible about what you want. I think that a lot of people who are into personal growth by being at the edge of their comfort zone all the time (laughs) judge themselves for feeling jealousy Mm. and they want to feel evolved and good all the time about their relationship explorations. And I don't think that's possible. And I think that's us being really hard on ourselves. And I think everyone who is choosing to be in non-traditional relationships is going to feel jealousy, not just because of social norms, because we've been indoctrinated to believe whatever we've, you know, monogamy, the Prince Charming narrative, but also just because this shit is hard. (laughs) And, and even if like, you're somebody who with your in your in your right minds thinks like i really celebrate and feel happiness for the person i'm with when they have a deep connection with someone else which in the polyamory world is called compersion even if you theoretically believe that in the face of it actually happening you may have a somatic reaction that is painful Like you might have a deep churning in your gut or shortness of breath. Your face might get flushed. Like you're going to have physical sensations, heart racing, et cetera, that correlate with feeling bad. And that is totally normal. The the mainstream narrative of relationships is you should never make the person you're with feel uncomfortable. And if you do, they have a right to be like, stop doing the thing that makes you that's that's making me uncomfortable. <sighs> and that a good boyfriend or girlfriend would would stop doing the thing. And I think in the polyamory narrative, it's more like, I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to take a deep breath and breathe into this discomfort and notice what is there and own it as mine. And then go to my partner and say, here's my vulnerable truth. I'm having this reaction. Um, And I want to share it with you because I want to be more connected to you. So I'm sharing my authentic experience. And the person that you're with is like, thanks for sharing that. I'm not hearing I need to change or stop doing the thing, but I'm right here with you and helping you explore what this means. (sighs) (laughs) I just realized how big this conversation is. (laughs) Jealousy, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. No. There's nothing inherently wrong with any feeling or emotion. No, no. The question is, how much and what do you do with it? In my experience and what I know of jealousy is that it's a surface. It's like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. What's usually underneath that is fear of abandonment or some sort of uh, inadequacy or a need that's not being met. Right. So 
I'm using an example here. This isn't a real life example. My partner wants to go on a date and I get jealous and I start to think that I'm not enough. That if my if I were enough, my partner wouldn't have to go on a date. Right. right. That's the story underneath the jealousy, which is that I'm not enough. I'm not worthy of all of someone's love. Right. Or that they're going to leave me. Right. So then fear of abandonment comes in or rejection. And what you were talking about is, is ownership of the emotion. I'm feeling jealousy. And underneath that, the story I'm telling myself is that you, I'm not enough, and so you have to go and look for something else elsewhere, even though in my head I know that's not true, but in my heart that's what it feels like. Right. And I don't need you to do anything other than maybe reassure me that, that you are with me because you love me and maybe tell me two things that you love about me before you go on your date. Absolutely. I mean, God, isn't this true about all evolved relationships, even, no matter if they're monogamous or not? I mean, this is just good, healthy communication and ownership of of how you're feeling. And we're always going to get triggered by things that our partners do because they're our primary attachment people. And we're so afraid of losing them or not being enough. And we can replace going on a date with somebody else with a big work project. Totally. You've been spending a lot of time at work and I'm feeling that work is more important than me. <sighs> and that brings up all sorts of feelings like uh, when I was young and my never, I never saw my dad because he was always on business trips. Yeah. And I just wanted him to throw the ball. Yep. So. I think that jealousy is something to be invited to the table. So I think it's something to sit with and be gentle with. And our instinct is to squash it, make it go away, make it stop. What would it be like to invite jealousy in and to sit down and have a, have a meal with it and, and just ask it, like, why are you here? What do I need to know from you? And then before it sabotages your... <laughs> You know, before it sabotages your your dessert, you uh, bid it farewell and um, say goodnight and push it up the door. And so you're 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 listening to it. You're not letting it control you, but you are giving it the time and space it it's asking for. It's just like pain in your body is telling you something. It's like, hey, stop and pay attention to me. I need something from you. And so the same thing with hard feelings. It's like, hello, I'm here. G take a second and listen to this, please. And there's important information there about what your needs are, what your boundaries are. Um, and that's really beautiful if you can give yourself just a few deep breaths to be like, I see you. I see the discomfort. Thanks for what you, you have to say. And it's okay to not know right away what, it's ha what it has to say. Just even just seeing it and being curious instead of judging yourself is an amazing first step. I mean, this goes for all emotions. I really don't think that there's an, um, there's an emotion that you should not welcome in. Yeah. And also not all emotions need to be scrutinized. And I mean, just opening the table, the, the door is enough. Sometimes we don't have to invite them in for dinner. Just open the door and be like, okay, do your, do your thing and, and then, you know, get out. Yeah. Because it will come up again and again yeah. until it's processed or dealt with. That's just the way it is. And it all has to be processed, especially if we're talking about a non-monogamous relationship. When feelings come up around the relationship, then it needs to be processed if you want to be able to move forward. Yeah. And there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful quote. I forget who said it, but it's, you don't try to force open the closed heart. You bow to it. Mm. So meaning instead of trying to make the jealousy go away or suppress it, you just say, I see you. There's another quote by Mike Tyson. He said, everyone's got a plan until, until you get punched in the face, <laughs> which also feels very applicable to this situation. <laughs> Definitely. Right? You can have the best plan for how to do your open relationship, right? This is how we're going to deal with this. This is, these are the 
rules, and we can talk about rules later, rules that we have in place. These are the agreements. These are the boundaries. We can have it all figured out. And then then you get punched in the face and it all falls apart. <laughs> right? Not, not f- physically, literally punched, but like your partner goes on a date. You're punched in the gut emotionally. Yeah, you're punched in the gut or, or like you find a used condom wrapper. Oh. Right? And like in your agreement, it's okay to have sex as long as you use barriers. Right. But, and all that makes sense until you find the used condom wrapper. Yep. And by the way, this has never happened to me because I'm not non-monogamous. <laughs> the only used condom wrappers I find are mine. So I know exactly where they came from. <laughs> <laughs> One time I went rummaging through an ex-lover's trash can to find the condom because he told me he had sex with an ex and I was suspicious that he didn't use the condom. And in my jealous rage, I searched through his trash and I didn't find a condom. He swallowed the condom. Because <laughs> he didn't want you to find it. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks. That's such a big relief. I'm so glad he used a condom. Totally. They used a condom. <laughs> <sighs> Do you want to talk about plans? Plans or plants? Yeah. Well, I thought that... <laughs> I know you love plants. I know you have 26 plants. 22 now. 22 plants in your house. But I want to talk about plans. Like, how do you actually... What's the process of bringing this mindset into practice in your life. And yeah, life doesn't go according to plan, as you said, but what might be the right course of actions for creating relationships that work for you? Yes. Around this stuff? Do I ever? <laughs> for me, in my experience, the first step is really an introspection. That's spending time asking yourself, you know, what, what do I, what do I really want? What do I really desire? I think that involves alone time, you know, breathing deeply, connecting to your sensations and to your emotions, like we're talking about and figuring out what's there. I think that introspection also involves resources like the books I mentioned earlier, and we can we can go over some more resources or put them in the um, the the notes on this episode. But um, I think it's doing research and connecting with resources and people who you could can learn learn something from about you know what 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 resonates with me and what kind of life or what kind of relationships do I want. So I think the big first step is really looking within and there's going to be a lot of internalized belief and a lot of internalized shame because non-traditional relationships are non-traditional, right? They're, they're not the norm that we are fed from a very young age with the Disney Prince Charming narrative. There's a lot of time that just, that goes into letting go of your preconceived notions and, and really letting go of shame that you want something different. You know, even that in itself is a radical first step, even if nothing else, just to really embrace and love yourself as someone who might want something different than the story you've been told is powerful and influences the people around you to live their authentic lives, even if you don't even live those you know, even if you don't go any further in, in the steps, just that alone is very, very powerful mm. to de-shamify and embrace, embrace yourself and spend some time really thinking about what do I authentically want. And just because you want something that's not the norm doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Normal yeah. is a setting on a washing machine. <laughs> Absolutely. There's nothing abnormal about wanting more love in your life. Exactly. And this is a way to get that. Nothing else. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get it. And we'll get to that in, in this list of steps. Um, I think the next step is learning how to communicate about your authentic needs and desires. 
some people like me might choose to put it out there really publicly in the world. Like, this is what I believe, this is what I need around relationships, interconnection, sexuality. Some people might not have that. It's a privilege. You know, you might um, lose custody of your kid if you do that. You might get fired. Um, You might be ostracized from your religious community. So that might not be an option. Um, You know, the option might be to um, how do I talk about this in a shame free way on a on a date Mm. with someone? And, you know, just to be like, yeah, this, you know, this is who I who I am and what I believe. And, um, you know, to say it not in a way where your your shame and nervousness is translating. So the other person's nervous system is is uncomfortable, but to like really be to it to embody your truth within yourself in a way that's like, here I am, take it or leave it. And you say it soon enough when you're dating a new person that um, that the stakes don't get so high and you are both attached and it comes as like a shock and it feels like a betrayal. Like, yeah, I think you want to say it on the, I mean, I would say it on the first date, but I mean, on the second date, maybe I think men might have different experiences than women around this because the fear is that you say this as a man on a first date with a woman, she's going to run for the hills. Uh, I don't think that's inherently true. I think it's actually really about, are you presenting it in a open, shame-free way? That's not like, I'm really embarrassed about this. So like, will you accept me anyway? But just like, yeah, this is me. Take it or leave it. Two things there. One, I think some studies have shown, studies indicate that women are as or more promiscuous than men and as or more sexually adventurous than men. So first of all, yeah, uh, it might be accepted more than you think. It's just that we're not used to talking about it and being so open about it. Number two, on one end, you are so open that you it's you might as well have it attached to the end of your name, you know, like doctors and whatnot. Janelle Marie, polyamorous. Right. Or it could be as little as Hey, this is something I've been thinking about. And it's something that I'm open to exploring. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience in it. I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah. So be as little or as much as wherever you are in your process. You know, that speaks to just being authentic. It's like, yeah, here's where I am in my process. And if you're like, yeah, this is something I feel really curious about and that resonates with me and I'm down to try it, but it's not the end of the world if it doesn't happen. It's just like, are you curious about this? I'm just gauging, you know? Great. And if they're like, yeah, I'm not really curious about that. Yeah. You can choose to be like, cool. All right. That doesn't really matter that much to me. Or you can choose to be like, my, my reaction to you saying that is like a pang of, oh no. And maybe that means I actually really do prioritize this. And I kind of need to be on a date with someone who's like, Ooh, yeah, I'm curious about that too. Your body will tell you your, your truth, I think. <laughs> you know, your, your reaction to what the person has to say will, will be a clear indicator of like, what do I actually want? What do I actually think? Not in a vacuum, but in relationship to, to, to another human being. <laughs> if you, yeah, your body might tell you, but you might not be able to listen to the body. We're not all there, Janelle. Yeah. We're working on Everyone will get there. Everyone will get there. Everyone who's listening to this podcast will get there. (laughs) Uh, Everyone who's listening is probably already there. And also, if you're dating online, you could just throw that up on your profile that you are exploring and or are non-monogamous or looking for an open relationship. I mean, that's like a setting on OkCupid. So... Yeah. I've done that before. And that's a privilege to do because you are not going to be, um, you know, in some countries killed (laughs) for doing that or ostracized from your religious community. I mean, what we're talking about is still pretty risky business in a lot of places, even within this country. So yeah, if you're in a place and have a family and a community where you can post that publicly, like that's awesome. And you totally can and find the right people. And if you're not that's really, that's really hard. And that's where, that's where um, going on the internet and, you know, using a, a different alias to connect with people might, might be necessary. But the internet is an amazing tool for connecting and finding like-minded people without having to 
have such high stakes as post, you know, posting publicly, like, this is me, my real name, and what I'm interested in. Not everybody lives in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Montreal. Pretty, pretty sexually open place. Okay, so introspection, communication, right? Uh, learn to mm-hmm. communicate what your desires, needs fears, boundaries are around this. What else is on the list of how to explore opening up or finding somebody who's open to this kind of relationship style? The next place I'd want to go is what if you're already in a long-term relationship with someone that has been designed around more traditional monogamy norms and you're realizing this i'm i'm so curious about this other way that i'm not sure i can keep going on without at least a conversation about it those are very high stakes because you're already attached to somebody and you've you're you've built a life with somebody and so in that case i think it's really important to be vulnerable but also to be not to be filled with shame where again your your nervous system is so wrecked that the other person is just feeling your stress instead of really being able to like be be present with what you're saying and i think there's also a way that you cannot demand <laughs> so you're not like this i need to have sex with other people or this is over like that's an ultimatum and by the way something i wanted to say earlier that i forgot about is if you're interested in opening up your relationship to save your relationship because your relationship is struggling, it's not going to work. This has to all happen in circumstances that are healthy, mutual, involve a lot of connection, shared conversation, agreement. It's not a way to save a sinking ship. And it's certainly not a decision that you can make on your own without including your partner or partners in the conversation ethically. The, the relationship should be fairly stable and have a solid foundation before you even attempt to explore whether this is something that's going to work for you both. Right. Even the conversation about this can create some pretty strong ripples. Oh my God. Yep. So when you want to be in a relationship period that's actually fairly stable. Yeah. And what I was thinking about was the the way to frame this conversation, right? You and I both know we can't make demands. Yeah. Requests work a lot better. And I think even having this conversation with a partner for the first time, there wouldn't requests wouldn't even be part of the conversation. Yeah. Right. I think I would approach this as, and this is from somebody who has zero experience with this, but the way I would approach this conversation is, honey, I love you so much and I'm loving our relationship. I want to feel even more connected. And I'm having these, I'm curious about this different way of being in a relationship. And it's something that I want to just talk to you about doesn't mean that I want to do it right now. It doesn't mean that I'll even that we'll end up doing this. I just want to be able to have a conversation with you about it. Yeah. With all of the feelings that it might come up, knowing that we're good and we can we can get through this rela- this conversation fine and that hopefully it'll bring us even closer together because I want to share with you things that are important to me because you're important to me. Absolutely. The end goal is to be more connected to the person that you're the person or persons that you're with and to be more connected to other people. But first, you're more connected to the people you already got. That's the ultimate goal. And so if you can communicate that, you know, I think the shit sandwich model of communicating is so great. That's like you say the positive thing, like you said, I I love you and I want to be connected to you. The hard thing that's like, I'm feeling really curious about this. I'm feeling really drawn to this. And then the positive thing that's like, and I really, I want to have a conversation with you about this. I really want you to explore this with me because you're my person. You're my best friend. You know, let's, 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 will you talk about this with me? 
I think that's an amazing way of, of bringing something that feels scary or hard to your partner mm. for the best reception possible. The pre-conversation framing is very important. Yeah. And I think something that came up for me when you were saying that is, yeah, to, to say like, I'm really curious about this. I'm really drawn to this. That's a really great way to start. But I think for some people, there's actually a, a feeling of deep need and urgency around the subject. And for some people, it's not. For some people, it's like, I am, I'm curious about this. And if their partner's like, yeah, I'm not, then you're going to be fine. Mm. It's like, okay. And I think for some people, it's like the answer to that, if the answer to that is, no, I'm not really into that, is, is not like, oh, cool, okay, the conversation's over. It's like, I ha- I'm feeling like grief I'm fe- uh, over this subject, or I'm feeling this fear, because like, I actually feel like this is a deep longing for me. And I'm wondering like, how we can stay in love and stay connected and still be our our authentic selves in the world and so that gets into the territory of like maybe one person agrees to let the other person go go get erotic massages or go on dates with other people or you know maybe there's some compromise that can be met uh, in in the event where like actually this conversation is feeling pretty urgent and the parties are having kind of a mismatch of what they want so that's that's really tough. And I think a big part of this work is sitting with your disappointment when things are not perfectly aligned with your, with your person or persons. And I can also imagine a scenario where a person has this deep, deep longing and desire for openness. And I mean, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, it wasn't communicated before the relationship was established. Maybe they, you know, had to... uh, release a bunch of shame around it or get clear on some of that stuff. And then the other partner is totally not open to it and also not open to a middle ground. Yeah. And so I could see a situation where that relationship isn't going to move forward. Right. Like it's going to end. And the grief of that, you know, and it can end in, in several ways. There's, there's a few options there. You can leave the relationship physically you can emotionally check out but stay in the relationship and you can outsource dishonestly you can outsource honestly and and have a communication about it and that's you know i guess that would be one of the better case scenarios we're like okay we're going to agree to disagree and you go have this experience um yeah or you evolve together in some way that's like, okay, we're really, we're going to explore this together. And that's, that's not going to work for everyone. And so, yeah, I think you, you really have to be asking yourself, um, am I okay with staying in this relationship, even if it isn't truly like letting me express my, like the full range of my desires, but I'm going to sit with my disappointment and accept it and just be like, this is what I chose, which is an acceptable option. Yeah, It's just like, what kind of life do you want? What kind of life do you feel obligated to have? Or what kind of life do you, do you need to have? You know, some people with really big families with lots of kids, like they don't feel like they have the option to leave or outsource honestly. Um, and so they stay and either kind of like emotionally disengage or outsource dishonestly. Or not. <laughs> yeah. Or not. They stay in the, the compromises with themselves. Yeah. The compromises. I, I'm actually going to compromise on my desires to continue living this relationship in the structure that it currently has. Yeah. And you do a lot of work to just be, you know, sit with your disappointment and let it move through you and accept what is, which is an amazing, powerful, powerful practice, but totally a beautiful option. I love this concept of outsourcing. I I just want to be clear. We're talking about basically sleeping with other people or like going to get the thing that we want. When you say outsourcing, I love the idea of outsourcing honestly, which is basically saying, well, I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to get an erotic massage. I'm going to go on a date. I'm going to go and sleep with my coworker or whatever the thing is. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to tell you about it. Right. And then I'm also going to deal with the consequences. I will accept the consequences of my action, which is that maybe this relationship will end. It might end. And also there are some people where, 
uh, they do not have the privilege of, like you said, outsourcing honestly. Yeah. Because of what might happen, what those consequences are, right? The family falling apart, one of the partners becoming abusive. That's it's certainly not for everybody. And and I and and I hope that no one's in a relationship where it would turn abusive, but some people are. Yeah. And that's sad. And that's sort of the way it is. Yeah. And I'd love for people to pick option four. Yeah. Which is to evolve. Or at least give it a shot. Yeah. And so I think that brings me to the last step of the process, which is if you and your partner or the or new new partner want to explore this and really figure out, you know, what are our what are our differing needs here? Where where are we similar? What are some ways we can get these met? There's some great books about this. I'm developing an online course about this. You can jump on my Instagram and sign up to find out about when that launches. And also, you can go on dating sites, as you were saying, and just say like, hey, we're, you know, we're a couple or like we're swingers, or I'm an individual who's married, who's looking for this. You can go to meetups like poly happy hours. You know, with the internet, there's a lot of ways that you can find like-minded people and you can go on there privately, like I was saying earlier, or you can be like, yeah, hey, I'm Janelle. Here's me. Here's what I'm interested in. Like, who wants to like talk about this or do a meetup? You know, in the Bay Area, there's cuddle parties that are PG. I don't know what is PG, PG 13. It's just clothes on cuddling. There's also sex parties where you're going to meet a lot of like really open-minded people who want to explore. And so you can find out about those near you and see if that's something you want. I mean, I personally don't really love that kind of environment, but that's how some people really explore. Like, how do I feel about this? Am I a swinger? Am I poly? Like, what's my reaction to this environment? Do I feel seen? Are these my people? So there's definitely a lot of ways to start exploring once you have talked to your partner about this and feel like you're ready to evolve together. Hashtag talk to your partner. Hashtag talk to your partner. Uh, My experience with open relationships is that I met a woman at a sex party Mm -hmm. four or five years ago. And I did a whole podcast on this. Actually, I did two episodes about my experience, and then I interviewed her about her experience. <laughs> uh, but basically, I, I like fell for this woman at a sex party and was flirting with her and her husband. Well, then fiance showed up at some point while we were flirting, and I totally flipped out. And long story short, we all three of us ended up hooking up at the end of the party at like four in the morning. <laughs> and uh, while my friend watched, and then. Her and I dated for six months. Wow. Yeah. Every Tuesday. Tasty Tuesdays. (laughs) And we'd have a date every Tuesday for six months. And I was essentially her boyfriend. And she was like, I was at their, I was invited to their wedding. Wow. And just a beautiful connection. And, and it was scary for me. There was all these things that came up for me, you know, like when we were all three of us hanging out together, because I was invited to their house, like for parties and stuff. And, (laughs) And her husband was there and we were friends. Like we were kind of friends. Like I wouldn't hang out with just him, but we were friends and everything was out in the open. And it was a really beautiful, beautiful situation. And I'm so grateful for this person. I mean, she's still in my life. She's a friend now. We've transitioned to friendship. Um, So there's all sorts of different ways to, for this stuff to happen. There really is. And you get to choose. Yeah. It could be, you know, your partner cuddling with another person. Yeah. Doesn't have to be sex parties. Right? You can really design the kind of relationship that makes sense for you and your partner. If you're both willing to come together and talk about it, I mean, it has to start with talk to your partner. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what can happen in in life. You just never know. And it's amazing to me that hearing that story from you, that you don't identify as polyamorous. And I think it's really interesting how people will choose to label themselves or not label themselves. 
And I think like, what's in a label? Like, why would you call yourself polyamorous? Like someone in who has experienced exactly what you described might very overtly and loudly call themselves polyamorous. And why would that be? I think, I think it's, it's to find a tribe, you know, and I think maybe that's not the kind of tribe you like are necessarily looking for, (laughs) you know, it's just an experience you had. You're not going to identify as that because it's not like, where are my people? It's like, oh, I had that experience. It was really cool. Like, isn't life interesting and beautiful? Versus like, I had this experience and it made me realize like, I am this, I need this. Who else is with me? Yeah, I had the experience. I was like, that's interesting and fun. (laughs) I don't identify with polyamorous people, mainly because I don't really want to have multiple emotionally involved relationships. Like, I don't want to have multiple like deep relationships. I really, for me, my edge is exploring one deeply committed relationship. Beautiful. Yeah. And ideally, in my like ideal world, that relationship is narrowly open. Monogamish. I guess. What is that? What is that? I mean, Dan Savage coined that term and it basically means uh, we mostly just have sex with each other, but will have sex with other people occasionally, probably together. Yeah, I just don't want to use Dan Savage's monogamous term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, basically. Narrowly, narrowly open. Uh, doesn't have the same ring to it, but that works. <laughs> no, it, it's actually more descri- descriptive, I think. Yeah. Narrowly open. Like, I, I, yeah, I don't know what that means. It, it means that there, there is an opening there. We're open to discussing it. We're yeah. probably we're going to be spending the bulk of our emotional energy towards building a foundation and building a life together. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that there can't be other people that come in and connect with us on a deep level as well. We're just not going to really spend too much time there because we're focused on this and what we can build together. Mm, I love that. Mm, Isn't that sweet? That's so good. (laughs) I just want to highlight the fact that people do this kind of stuff so that they can have their needs met. Yeah. Right? And open relationships and non-monogamy is a really good way to get your needs met from more than one person. Yeah. Which actually relieves a lot of pressure from your person. Yeah. There's this modern romantic myth that the person you're with needs to be everything. Whereas a monogamous marriage used to be, this is a business transaction and you know, our families are joining forces and you get all your emotional needs met from all the other women in the village or the, all the other men in the village. Now it's like, I'm deeply connected to almost no one because I live in this isolated world. <laughs> and so the person I'm with the, my monogamous other half um, needs to be my business partner and my, you know, we're going to co-raise kids together in some cases and my emotional support and my entire identity is wrapped up in this relationship too. And so if it, if we get a divorce or if this relationship is ever hard, um, it's somehow a social failure Mm. and that's not a great recipe for, um, happy, healthy relationships. It's a lot of pressure. And so I think if you resonate with community and you know, with with recommunitizing your life, polyamory or open relationships can be a really beautiful choice if it works for you and for the person or people you're with. And there's a lot of people doing it. Yeah. So there's a lot of resources out there. I think one that you didn't really touch on was Facebook groups. There's like huge communities of people. I mean, some probably better than others. And I will just let folks find their people, but there are a lot of communities in there. And generally speaking, the like polyamorous potlucks I've been to, the people are pretty nice. <laughs> if not a little nerdy. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of beautiful nerds in the polyamory community. Yeah. And you know, part of my goal with helping people design non-traditional and sex positive relationships is to help people build community with like-minded people. And so I am excited about 
launching online programs in the next couple of months that also involve the Facebook groups, the, you know, the private online forums where people can network with other like-minded people in a way that really helps people feel seen and connected in a world where it's really hard to feel that way. Let's be more connected. Yes. Where can we find you and all these lovely resources? You can check me out on Instagram at love with Janelle. Janelle is spelled Jane with an L. And you can find my website at lovewithjanelle.com. And I'd love to hear from you and get in touch with you and see how we can build community around sex positivity and designing our best lives together. Hmm. <laughs> what does love mean to you? Mm. I think love is deep respect and affection for another. What about you? Mm, my favorite definition is still M. Scott Hicks, the extension of oneself for the spiritual growth of the other. Oh, that's incredible. I'm stealing that one. <laughs> I know. That's why it's, it's good. You can, you can have it. I actually paraphrase that. It's really the extension of oneself for your own or another spiritual growth. And I think that quote is so applicable to this conversation because really what polyamory or open relationships is all about is supporting your partner in your deepest evolution. So like for me, I think faithfulness is not having sex with one person until you die. I think faithfulness is I am committing to support you in your growth and evolution, even when it's hard Mm. and vice versa. And so I think that's, that's real love. Boom. (laughs) Thank you for spending this hour with Janelle and myself this week. It means the world to me. Today I went online and I looked at my financials and I found out that 43 of you lovebirds make a monthly contribution to this show. This show gets about 12,000 downloads a month and rising. But 43 of you have showed me that you care about this work and that it's making an impact in your life enough to make a monthly contribution. And that is huge. And it helps so much. The average contribution is $6.03. You can do the math. Every little bit helps. And if this show is making an impact in your life, and it is showing you different ways of loving and doing relationship, and you want the show to continue, and you value my work and me as a person, and you want to show me that, The best way to do that is to make a financial contribution on a recurring basis of at least $5 a month or the price of uh, Starbucks or like a decent-ish chocolate bar. You can do that by going to thelovedrive.com forward slash join. And for the 43 that already do this, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Have a beautiful week.